is up, guys? Welcome to a special edition of Talk Flagler. We are here with Alan Ellison, who is a, uh, a candidate for the United States Senate. He's uh, currently in the Democratic primary, which is in August of 2022, and he's here visiting Palm Coast in Flagler County. So welcome to town, Alan. You're one of our least local guests that we've had, but it's still great to have you on. Well, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So the first um, the first question is, how have you prepared for a job as uh, lofty as representing the state of Florida in the U.S. Senate? Well, I'll tell you, the um, the best way to answer that is that anything that you have done, anything that I've ever done has actually prepared me uh, to be in the United States Senate. Uh, and the thing is, is that there are currently 12 U.S. senators who currently do not have legislative or political background. And so uh, what the founding fathers wanted to have was someone who had heart and character, more so than people who had a, a background in legislative experience. And so I'm a political scientist, uh, but I'm also a business owner and I'm also an individual who believes in helping people. So every day of my life, I try to find someone that I can help. And so running for uh, the United States Senate is just a way for me to maximize my gift of helping people. Mm -hmm. Who are your uh, role models in, uh, in campaign, either in government or otherwise? I like uh, Dr. King uh, for how he was able to mobilize a nation uh, around human rights and civil rights. Uh, I like Doc, uh, uh, President Obama because of how he was also able to mobilize people around hope and change. And so I, I look at those individuals as role models because in a time where we have experienced so much uh, political rhetoric and division, we need leaders who can mobilize people to come together and, um, and, do, and do good for one another. I think we've seen so much destruction because of division, uh, like what we've seen in January 6th at the nation's capital um, and, and all of the things that that further pull our nation apart. We have to be able to, uh, you know, invoke uh, the presence of King in our speech. We have to be able to inspire the people like Obama. And we have to always work towards building and, and creating a more perfect union. I actually got to visit um, Ebenezer Baptist uh, a couple months ago where King wow. preached his whole life. That was a lot of history. Oh yeah, in one one place. Just I didn't know how much Atlanta was a, a center for the civil rights movement mm -hmm. until I was visiting there and I saw everything that was around. Yeah, I hope to visit there one day soon. Definitely worth yeah. it. So you talk about being a, a champion for the disabled as mm -hmm. one of the tenets of your campaign. Uh, where is Florida not doing right by its disabled population, and how would you work to improve that? Well, disabilities uh, is broken down as cognitive disabilities, uh, physical disabilities. And when it comes to uh, the cognitive disabilities, we could do a whole lot better in the state to make sure that we're looking out for uh, the children who are in school, who uh, live with disabilities, who are learning, like having a hard time learning and being in school. Uh, we need to do a much better job of those who have become disabled. Uh, I, I believe that we are not doing enough to look after our veterans who are disabled. We're not doing enough to look after uh, individuals who have been deemed disabled by a medical physician and we're being denied, uh, you know, year in and year out. I think that what it boils down to is a lack of financial resources. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, individuals are being denied. I think it's a, 
it's kind of a, a, a numbers game, if you will, where people, uh, administrators deny you the first time, the second time, the third time, sometimes up to eight times because there's just not enough financial resources. So the thing that I want to be able to do is not only increase the amount of benefits that people receive, but also stop the process of being denied once you've been um, deemed disabled. And I think the thing is, is that it's going to take someone who understands the disability community, uh, but also to make sure that we have the financial wherewithal to be able to handle uh, the resources that's going to be needed, because there are literally 69 million uh, Americans who have a disability. Uh, there's 2.8 million Floridians who have a disability of some type, and uh, there's at least a, a 1.4 million who have not received uh, disability benefits, but have also been deemed disabled. And so the numbers are staggering. And for those individuals who uh, are being taken care of by a, a, a mother or a father or a healthcare professional who's in the home, um, being able to take care of people with disabilities is also, you know, a, a strain. And so we want to make sure that we are uh, alleviating any type of physical, mental, uh, or any type of uh, uh, strain that is being placed on Americans because of disabilities. And and it, all it takes is uh, individual or individuals who care enough to make that uh, a priority like we have in our campaign. So um, Florida is traditionally seen as one of the biggest swing states in the country uh, for national elections, definitely, and also for Senate elections. Um, in the last two presidential elections and the last two Senate elections, Florida has, uh, has gone red. Why is someone like you, the progressive platform, the right choice to unseat a nationally recognized Republican senator? Uh, I believe that I'm the right choice because my approach to um, policy and my approach to people uh, is perfect for how the people will be able to perceive what they are looking for. And what I mean by that is most people are not coming out to vote on the Democratic side because we don't have a Democratic leader who is actually speaking to the needs of the Democratic voters. And we don't have a Democratic leader who is speaking to the needs really of all voters. And the thing that sets me apart from my um, from my opponents, as well as from the Democrats that have lost uh, the last couple of federal elections, is the fact that uh, I spend the most time engaging with voters on the issues that matter most to them. Uh, I spend the most time doing monthly town halls. I spend the most time doing weekly engagements, virtual discussions, and what we call the Power Hour chat on Twitter, where I'm literally answering every single question in under an hour every single Friday. I think that it is important to have that level of engagement because voters don't feel as if their voices and ideas or concerns uh, are being heard by leaders uh, in the party uh, at the federal level. And so because we have spent so much time engaging with voters and listening and learning how we can improve the quality of life of voters, this is why we have been able to build a grassroots movement of people of all walks of life from every political uh, ideology. And we have brought them into our movement 
uh, for the purpose of trying to have better, trying to have more responsive leadership in the United States Senate. So there's a possibility after next year's elections, the Senate uh, might either remain 50-50 between the two parties as it is now or be relatively close to it. Uh, If you were in the Senate in that situation, how would you plan on working with uh, senators like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema, who have wielded an incredible amount of power in um, the dealings of the Senate to ensure that an actual progressive agenda uh, is advanced? Well, I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to remove money out of politics. Um, and that's what one of the things that For the People Act does. It moves money out of politics. And I think that if we can get money out of politics, a lot of leaders in the United States Senate will be forced to deal with the issues at hand and not be swayed by who's making financial contributions to their campaigns. In the end, we are supposed to be looking out for and representing the interests of the people. But when you have special interest groups, corporate PACs and, and organizations that are putting so much money into the campaigns of uh, these senators, then it makes it uh, very difficult for them to actually get legislation passed, progressive legislation or any legislation passed that will have a direct positive impact on the people. So I would definitely push for uh, the People Act to get money out of politics in the event that we are not able to have the For the People Act pass, then we would definitely be uh, forced to have to look at the issues and try our best to uh, to win and lead and raise enough awareness with the people so that the people can put enough pressure on leaders to see things their way. It's unfortunate that uh, leaders don't look at the issues at hand and be able to move policy to benefit the people. Most leaders are swayed by mass public sentiment or who's paying the money. And if we can remove the money, we can always move mass public sentiment. It's just a matter of how we campaign, how we outreach and how we coalition build. And uh, I've proven that we can build coalitions pretty strongly around issues through our political action uh, component. So I want to talk about uh, energy a little bit and climate. Uh, Within the movement for greener energy, there's uh, some debate about whether solar, wind, nuclear, hydroelectric is the the way of the future to replace carbon coal. Um, are any of these options in your mind the one solution or do you think it's going to be a combination of multiple of those? Well, thank you for that question. I think it has to be a combination of things because what happens is depending on where you are in the country will determine what resources are available to you as far as renewable energy. In Florida, we have a very... um, uh, strong opportunity to lead in renewable energies, especially with water, because we're, we're, we're peninsula, we're surrounded by water and we have so many lakes, we have so many um, uh, major bodies of water. Uh, but also we are starting to uh, lead in the development of solar panels. I've seen solar panels on my drive up here, uh, but also wind is always a viable option. Um, I don't know if Florida is ready for nuclear, but I do know that it is a viable option. Uh, But one thing is for sure, climate change is real. We definitely need to have 
um, a green approach to how we deal with our environment because um, it's so detrimental that if the earth increases in temperature just two degrees, uh, what would end up happening is, is that we would lose 200 million people on this earth, not only by a heat wave that could kill that many or up to that many people, but coupled with the idea that there are a certain amount of crops that cannot grow in temperatures um, with just a two degree change. So if we if we were to lose those crops, it would have an adverse effect on our ability to feed the world's population. So when you're talking about heat strokes, talking about food insecurity, climate change has direct impact on those two, which is how we get to losing 200 million people. Uh, there are so many things that we could do to curb our dependence on, on fossil fuels. There are so many things that we can do to curb our own uh, carbon footprint. For example, one of the things that I do now is I try to ride a skateboard for the majority of the places that I go in town, mm -hmm. because um, just personally, that is something that I can do as an individual. But we have to look at what we can do as individuals, what we can do as companies and what we can do as a country through policy. We have to do everything in our power because uh, the fact of the matter is, is that over time, the earth is getting hotter and it is causing problems. We're seeing it in Florida with uh, the blue green algae blooms. We're seeing it with the increase in red tide. We're seeing it um, also when it comes to um, uh, citrus production or the, or the lack of because of citrus greening with our, our oranges. Um, our oranges are not being produced at the rate in which they used to because of global warming. We know that bacteria grows at a higher rate uh, when there is warmer environments. And originally, I thought that uh, the problem of citrus greening here in Florida was uh, something that we only dealt with here in Florida. But after further research, I see that it is now a global phenomenon. People are dealing with citrus greening in South America. They're dealing with it in Europe, Africa. And it's all because the climate is uh, is changing. And, and while we're speaking of that, I always want to be able to educate people about what climate change is, because it was just last week, someone told me that uh, up north it was cold. And therefore, on that particular day, it was the evidence that climate change is not real, because if the earth is getting hotter, why are we having a cold day? And so for those who are out there listening, there is a difference between weather and climate. Weather is what takes place day to day. Climate is what takes place in the atmospheric pressure over a 30 year span. So if we calculate what the average temperature is doing on a 30 year span, then we can see that the earth is getting warmer and we are having to suffer because of it. Even if we don't realize what the point of origin is causing this suffering, it's because uh, scientists have been watching it. And we know that uh, we are we are dealing with an ecological change in our in our um, in our ecosystem. We are seeing a lot of drought in places, extra fires because the earth is so warm. We're seeing increased 
uh, earthquakes because of the earth trying to release pressure. And we've seen more hurricanes than we've ever seen uh, over the last 30 years. And so all of these factors uh, are the evidence of the fact that climate change is real. I think my favorite takeaway from that, aside from all the very good and factual climate analysis, is that you are a skateboarder. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of good, uh, good skate parks in Palm Coast next time you're driving through. Well, I brought my skateboard today, so if, if I see any, I'll definitely pull over and, and try them out. Wadsworth Park, if you need to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, in, the, in the Senate, would you be a supporter of the Green New Deal? Or, and are there any additions or changes you would make to it as it is now? I think the Green New Deal is definitely a, a good first step towards reducing our carbon footprint. Uh, I think the Green New Deal is something that uh, it's, it's aggressive. It's definitely trying to do the right thing in a very short amount of time. Um, and so I would definitely start there because it's not law now. You know, it's something that that we really should get on board with. Mm-hmm. So switching gears a little bit in America, the, the national defense budget considerably outpaces the budget for veteran services and veteran care probably several times over. Um, should that gap be smaller between those two budgets? And in what ways could we be doing better? Uh, by our, our veterans of the armed services? Well, um, you know, if you look at our budget, uh, we're spending more money on our defense than every country in the world with the military combined. Um, and the majority of that money is not going towards our military. It's going towards defense contracting firms, which are for-profit entities that are literally getting the majority of our defense budget, which make up less than a thousand individuals who are already wealthy. If we were to cut our defense budget in half, we would still be spending more money than every country in the world with the military combined. The problem with all of this defense spending is the majority of it is not making it to our military men and women. It's not making it to their families and it's definitely not making it to our veterans. What I would like to see is, is that we streamline our defense budget, make sure that we are not overspending on um, on weapons and materials that uh, are making these companies richer. And we're putting a great deal of those resources, not only in uh, the, the military families uh, and our soldiers, making sure that they have what they need to to be educated, to be housed um, and making sure that they have what they need, but also for those who have spent their time in the military protecting our country, protecting our rights and our freedoms, because it's very sad to know that individuals can do all of those things to protect all that we hold dear, only to be forgotten about once they get out of the military. So I think that within the military or the defense budget, we could do a whole lot more to help uh, our veterans uh, we can do a whole lot more to reduce the rate of suicide among our veterans. We can do a lot to streamline the process of how medical data is uh, is delivered between agencies or between hospitals. Uh, we definitely need to make sure that our military men and women and veterans can go to any hospital and not just designated hospitals. And the reason I say that is because I've had town halls with uh, veterans. And I've learned that 
there are a lot of veterans who have to travel a great distance just to get to a VA hospital. My uncle, for example, uh, we live in Highlands County and the nearest VA hospital on one side of the, the state uh, is in St. Pete. That's two and a half hours away. The other uh, VA hospital is in West Palm Beach. That's also two and a half hours away. And so when, when a veteran is in pain, when a veteran is hurting and need care, a two and a half hour drive is just too far. When we can streamline that process and connect more hospitals into the, the network and make it where they can get the help that they need without having to suffer in the process. So I got a couple more questions. Um, in states like Texas, Georgia, and even Florida, potentially in the near future, uh, measures to limit access to abortion are quickly changing the landscape of women's health care. Um, there's even a growing possibility of the Supreme Court potentially overturning Roe v. Wade. Do you support codifying Roe v. Wade uh, at the federal level? And uh, I wonder if there are any other um, ideas you have where, where it pertains to uh, the abortion issue. Yes, I do believe that we need to codify it, uh, especially when we have states who are who are going around the existing uh, uh, ruling and making up new rules. I think that we have to uh, push for legislation that supersedes these state laws like Texas, but I also believe that we should um, add more justices to the Supreme Court. Uh, because what we saw in the previous administration was we saw court packing. We saw um, a host of uh, judges who were very political in their in their um, in their stances become judges to oversee cases like these that um, will reverse the course of history. And in order for us to have a change, we have to add more judges to the bench uh, to create a balance. Uh, you know, the thing is, is that when you look at the Supreme Court and you look at the amount of cases that they see, most people don't realize that they see right around 240 cases a year. Um, and it's because there are simply not enough justices to see all of the cases that come up to the courts. And so we could solve two problems. We could have uh, justices that create balance on on um, some of the most vital issues of our time, but also we could actually see more cases. And I think uh, it has been done at least uh, a couple of times in history. And I think we're at the juncture where we need to do it again, especially with the rise in our population. The last time it was done, our population was nowhere near the size that it is now. And we have a population that is, um, is, is getting older, but we also have a population of people that, uh, that rival the baby boomer demographic. And we need justices that can reflect our evolving uh, society. And so, you know, it's going to take Democrats um, working together and pushing for there to be, you know, more justices on the Supreme Court and working towards uh, codifying uh, legislation that will definitely protect a woman's health care uh, decisions. Mm -hmm. So recently in America, we had two very publicized, very landmark trials for Kyle Rittenhouse and for the uh, killers of Ahmaud Arbery. 
where would you describe the state of race relations being in America today? And um, what's something that a senator specifically could do to address that? I think uh, race relations in America is uh, it's still fragmented. It's still um, it's still very much dividing our nation. Uh, we like to say that America is a, a melting pot. Uh, but what America really is, it's a salad bowl. We still have so many different um, diversities that that cling to their own in America. And we need to have senators who not only understand our diversity, but ones who embrace it. It is our diversity that made us great, but it's also the lack of understanding about diversity that keeps us from being even greater. And I think if we had more leaders in the United States Senate and just leaders in general who embraced diversity, but also spoke to uh, what make us great, then we would have more people appreciating uh, who we are in terms of our differences, as opposed to uh, trying to write policies and, and trying to speak in ways that keep us all divided. I just came from an event where I was speaking about uh, the difference between walls versus uh, bridges. We need leaders who are really about building bridges because we have too many leaders right now that are all about building walls. And as we know from history and throughout the world, walls have always served to divide humanity. We need to be able to come together because in coming together, we can achieve so much more and uh, we are so much better for it. Mm -hmm. So I have one last question. This might be the most important one of all, especially for Florida voters. Is the definitive sub sandwich Publix or Subway to get us out of here? You know, the question is answered this way. It depends on a person's social economic status. Oh, okay. If you're of a certain uh, social economic status and you make a little bit more, then you probably might go to Publix. If you make a little bit less, you might go to Subway. Um, at the end of the day, we should always strive to make sure that every American can eat wherever they want to eat and, and not go broke trying to survive. That was good. You were ready for that one. <laughs> that, was a, that was a better answer than I was expecting. <laughs> so there you have it, guys. This is Alan Ellison, candidate for uh, U.S. Senate. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, how to get engaged with the campaign? Absolutely. First of all, I just want to thank you for inviting me uh, to Flagler County. Uh, I've enjoyed myself while I've been here. And for those of you who have been listening to this broadcast, if you are inspired by what uh, I had to say here, then please uh, join our team. You can do so at alanellison.com. Uh, make a contribution uh, and amplify our campaign's message. We depend on people just like you to help reach further, reach more people. At the end of the day, it's really going to boil down to who can reach the most people. And if you can help us to amplify our message, then please join the team so that we can do that because we're working very hard around the clock uh, to address the needs and concerns of the many. Uh, we believe that we should be improving the quality of life for every American, not just some. I'm Alan Ellison running for the United States Senate, and I approve this message. <laughs> Very good. Uh, thanks again for coming, Alan. And uh, 
That's our show. Make sure to tune in next week, guys. This has been uh, the Talk Flagler Podcast. Mm-hmm.